Great. Well, it's good to be You guys all right? Yeah. Can't really say no, can you, when I ask that question publicly like that? It's like, yes. Hope you're all right. Hope you're all right. Having a good day. Enjoying the sun. In July, I found out this morning it's July. Who knew? <laughs> Snuck up on us. Here I was, still in June, and then suddenly we're in July. So it's great to be in July. And we are in a series called Storylines, where we're looking at God's big picture, the big picture right the way through the Bible, and messages that just keep coming back and get, again and again. And um, I was reminded of when I was about uh, six or seven, I must have been, uh, 20 years ago or so, and um, I, was, I was in my class, and I was pretty good at addition, you know, I'd mastered addition, you know, two plus two is four, and all of that stuff. I, I was pretty good at that. And then one day the teacher said, today we are going to study multiplication. And I, a whole, I didn't, I knew nothing about multiplication. And a whole vista of the world opened up before me as I discovered there was something more powerful than addition. It was multiplication. And I realized the lifelong message some kids know how to add, but us cool kids know how to multiply. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, us cool kids know how to multiply. <laughs> Some of you are not saying that with any conviction whatsoever. You missed that lesson, didn't you? That was, should I do a quick test? Should we do, no, no, let's not do that. You know, and that's, that's the big story that I want to look at this morning is this sense of God is a God of multiplication. Right the way through, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, you see this theme of multiplication. So when God created the animals, uh, when he created the birds, when he created the fish, he said, multiply and fill this earth, which they've done very successfully until we started killing them. But they've multiplied across the earth. He said the same to mankind. He said, go and multiply, fill the earth. And we've done that quite successfully as well. He created us to multiply. And then the story again and again is God will take an individual like Abraham, a man called Abram, not Albrand, Abram, and he, his name meant exalted father. And God said to him, I'm renaming you Abraham, which means father of many nations. And he said, go and I'll bless you and you're going to be a blessing to many others. Go and multiply. And King David, he picks him out and says, go and multiply. I'm going to bless you. And then when Jesus comes, he says to the disciples, look, you've understood the disciple means a word that means to follow Jesus. You've understood what it means to follow me. Now go and make disciples. Make other followers. Go and multiply. This theme goes right the way through because God is not wanting us to remain alone. You know that? You're too good to stay on your own. The stuff that's inside of you, whether you're a, whatever you are or studying to be, whether you're a teacher or a plumber or a builder or a homemaker or a manager, whatever you are, you are too good to stay. The stuff that God has put in you is too good to remain alone. It's, you, some of you don't believe me, I can tell. Say this with me then. Okay, I'm too good to remain alone. I have to multiply. You, you need to say it with more conviction than that. I, I'm just, you just don't believe that. I'm too good to remain alone. I have to multiply. You have to multiply because God has put amazing things into each one of you. And he's put amazing things into me. And he wants us not to leave it there, but to multiply, to give it away, to raise up others, to pass it on to other people. You and I were born to multiply. That's where we get our satisfaction. That's where we get our sense of purpose and destiny. We were born to multiply. This is good news. And by the end of this message, I'm hoping that you're going to believe me because some of you just don't believe me right now. Wendy, why don't you just come and share your little story from uh, TSM? They love Wendy. Let's welcome Wendy up. Morning, everyone. 
Yeah, I was, I was telling Simon this morning as he was sharing what he was going to speak on that TSM, um, I've been running for the last seven years. It's our training for supernatural ministry school. And we spend nine months literally pouring into students what it means to live like Jesus and telling them how amazing they are and what they carry. And when we get to the end of the year, we say every year, we want you to now give this away. You're called to give this away to everyone, everyone you meet. And what I've learned over the years that is that the main thing that stops those who've done the school giving the stuff away is them not really understanding their identity and listening to the lies of the enemy that tell them you can't or you're not, you haven't really got anything good to give or if someone wanted to be discipled, they'd probably choose so-and-so rather than you, so you better not do anything. And we just, at the end of the year, we always have to say to our students, look, the enemy is going to come at you to tell you you've got nothing good to give what you see come out of you and what you, the impact that you see is going to be dependent on which voice you listen to, whether it's going to be the voice of the enemy or what God says about you. And we say to them, you've got to listen to what God says about you, otherwise this is going to stay with you. And so um, it's a crucial element of our discipleship is understanding that what God says about us really is true and listening to his voice. Very good. Very good. I'll take that. So we're born to multiply. Each one of us is born to multiply. And that's, as a community, that's what we're born for. That's what we are made for. You know, we were at another church. It must have been three or four years ago now. And we, as we visited that church, it was, to be honest, it was a very ordinary building. It was a very, uh, the coffee was ordinary, if not subpar. Uh, it was just, it was just, it was just it was very ordinary. But it, the day changed my life. They, as a community, had seen 200 to 300 people come to know Jesus every year. And we wanted to know how. And one of the things they said changed my life because they said this. They said, we are not focused on evangelism, really. We're focused on making disciples who make disciples. They said there's a massive difference between making disciples and making disciples who make disciples because one is addition and the other is multiplication. <laughs> and it really spoke to me. I began to realize that actually that's what we are called to be. We're called to be a community that makes disciples who make disciples, who multiply again and again, that's our mandate. So how do we do it? If we believe that we're born to multiply, which some of you don't believe yet, but will by the end of this message, if we believe that, the question then is how? And Jesus taught to his disciples, his followers, and he taught them how. So we'll read from Luke chapter 10, and uh, we will read this little story, and we'll talk about it. So after the Lord had appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him. So up until now, Jesus has been doing the stuff. No one had seen anyone like Jesus. He's amazing. If you don't know Jesus this morning, he is the best person you will ever meet. He's phenomenal. He changes people's lives, and they'd met him, and they'd seen him heal people and set them free and give them hope and purpose. And they said, Jesus, you're amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. He's like, hang on a minute. I'm not enough just to do it on my own. You need to go. So he raises up 72 others, and he sends them out two by two. Notice he sends them together. Jesus, even when he went, wanted a donkey fetch for him, he sent two people. It's unlikely he's going to get you to do anything on your own. He's going to send you in a t with somebody else. He sent them two by two into every town and every place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Say plentiful. plentiful. But the laborers are few. Say few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so they said, okay, we'll pray for them to go. We'll pray for the others to go. And he said, okay, now you go. I've heard your prayer. Now you go. They're like, hang on, we were praying for someone else to go. No, you go. And behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's not a great picture right there, is it? Carry no wallet, 
no bag, no sandals. Some of you are thinking, I've always hated sandals. That's so good. I'm so glad we don't have to take sandals. But ladies, I think he's more like saying, don't take two pairs of shoes. Ladies, one pair of shoes only. I'm so sorry. And some guys as well. I'm so, where's Marco? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's one pair of shoes only on this mission. Greet no one on the road. And whatever house you enter, first say, peace be on this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick and say, the kingdom of God has come near. But whenever you enter a town and don't receive, that, that, that doesn't receive you, go to the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we've got to wipe off against you. Note this, the kingdom of God has come near to you today. I tell you, it's going to be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that town. What he was saying was a town that had received massive judgment from God, Sodom, would be easier for that town than it would be for a people who did not receive their message. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. What does that story teach us about multiplying? Four, four words. First word is go. Say go. 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 Jesus tells them to go. It's not an option. It's not a please. It's not a, oh, if you don't mind. It's a go. You need to go. Thank you. Go. And what does he say? He says, go as lambs among wolves. Turn to your neighbor and say, meh. Uh, turn, to your, turn to your other neighbor and say, Grr. I mean, who, who wants to be the lamb in that story, you know? <laughs> who wants to be the lamb? I mean, the wolf has got a far better deal here. I mean, who wants to be the lamb amongst wolves? It's not a brilliant picture. It's like Winston Churchill, when he spoke to Britain after we'd lost part of a, a massive battle, he said, all I can promise you is blood, sweat, and tears. It's like, oh, thanks very much, you know. But that's the reality. Jesus is not saying this is going to be easy. He's saying, I send you like lambs amongst wolves. He's not even saying I'm sending like sheep. I mean, at least sheep have got a chance. They've got a nasty bite on them. Have you ever been bitten by a sheep? They are, they are nasty, those things. They, they've got a really vicious bite. But he's not saying I'm sending you like sheep. He's saying I'm sending you like lambs. I mean, lambs amongst wolves. That's pretty, that's not good. Surely, Jesus, surely. But I think the point is this. A shepherd may leave a sheep on its own. You'll often see that, sheep on their own in groups on the hillside. But a shepherd will never leave a lamb on its own. He will never leave a lamb on its own. You'll never, when there's lambs involved, the farmers, the shepherds, they are keeping an eye on what's going on. The same Jesus who said, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves, was the same Jesus who said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The very fact that we go out feeling like lambs, feeling timid, feeling vulnerable, feeling fearful is the very fact that Christ is with us. Which is why David said, that the great shepherd said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, your rod, your staff, they comfort me because when I'm feeling fearful and alone and vulnerable, when I've gone like you told me to go and I feel like, ah, there's wolves out here and I feel naked and alone. When I'm feeling like that... I know the great shepherd is with me. As we make disciples, we are not on our own. And I've told you this story before. I was always terrified about uh, reaching out, about sharing my faith. I I lived under constant fear, and the God had an antidote for me. It was a fantastic solution. 
he put me in the most terrifying environment as an engineer with about 10 other engineers in a public office. And on the first or the second day I was there, at the end of the week, I think it was, they said to me, so what are you doing tonight, Simon? Were you going out, you know, you're going out on the town, on the razzle, find a few ladies? And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I, a little, uh, a little, they just said that, a little, uh, a little voice in my head said, whatever you do now, keep your mouth shut. And another voice said, if you keep your sh- mouth shut now, you will never speak about your faith to these guys for the rest of your time here. So I had a choice, and I thought, Ten seconds of courage, here we go. And I said, well, no, I'm not actually doing that. Like, what? You're not doing that? He said, we're all married, and you know, like, we've got to stay with our wives, but you can go out, you're young stallion. You need to go out, and you need to go and you know, do what young stallions do. And I was like, well, <laughs> I used to do that, and I, then a few years ago I became a Christian, and I just don't live like that anymore. And I don't know if you heard, but apparently when sheep are about to be slaughtered, there's like an unearthly silence. <laughs> I've never been, anyone been to a slaughterhouse? No, you keep, you keep away from slaughterhouse, somebody has. You, you, is that true? It's like silent, there's not much noise, is that, is that right? Yeah, it's true, okay, it's true, good. I, I don't hang around with people who go to slaughterhouses much, so I, I'm intrigued. But the reality was... It was like that. There was like an unearthly silence. I was the lamb amongst the wolves, and I was about to get slaughtered, and I knew it. And then somebody said, oh, well, if that's good for you, that's good for you. It wasn't good for me. (laughs) They hammered me for about 18 months every day, all 10 of them, laughing, sniggering. Anytime there was something on the radio that was about Christianity or faith, they would bring it up. So what do you think about that, Simon? And it was like relentless, day after day after day. I'll tell you what, though, it did something in me. It broke the fear because I realized, you know what, I can laugh at myself. Some of the stuff that seems humorous to them is actually funny. They would make fun of me. I could learn to laugh at myself. I learned to make jokes back to them. I learned to ask them questions. As they asked me questions, I learned to ask them questions to expose what they believe and discuss. And it was all done in a public forum. And they were like 20 years older than me, most of them. And I was like a lamb among wolves. But it did so much. In my, it broke the fear, to be honest. It broke the fear. And I realized, you know what? God is with me. He is with me. And I remember after that, I was leading the Alpha course here one time. And I did the talk. And at the end of the talk, I was going in to be in one of the groups and uh, normally we don't do that because it's a bit awkward to discuss the talk with someone who gave the talk. You know, it's a little bit socially awkward there. So we don't normally do that, but we were short on team, so I had to be in the group. And so I sat down in the group and said, okay, guys, what do you think about what I just said? And one guy leaned back on his chair and he said, that's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and normally I would have been terrified, but then, I, do you know what? I just laughed on the inside. I thought, this is going to be a brilliant group. This is going to be amazing. Because he said that, anyone can say anything now. This is like a free-for-all. This is like awesome. And we had one of the best groups I ever had. It was just amazing. But the fear was broken. You go as lambs, we go as lambs amongst wolves, but Jesus is with us. Go. That's the first word. The second word is this, find. Go and find. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I don't know about you, but... In my going, so often I feel like people just aren't interested. They just don't want to know. This Jesus has changed my life. And, and I wish I could just get out what's on the inside, but people just don't see. Jesus doesn't see the world like that. He sees the hearts that are hungry. He sees the hearts that are desperate. He sees the hearts that don't know about him, don't know what he carries, what he brings. 
but they, if they knew, they would want to respond. He sees those hearts. I, I don't, I'm not going to say much about this referendum, but I'll tell you one thing we've observed in this nation. Is it, I think it was, it was about Europe, but it was not about Europe. There was something about it where people said, you know what, you tell me to be afraid if we go out of Europe. You tell me to be afraid of what will happen. I tell you what, I'm afraid of living in what I'm living in right now. I want change. I don't care how risky it might be, I want change. And I think we've all woken up to that. There is a heart in our nation which is desperate and broken and would rather take a risky future than accept the current circumstances they're living in. That's, a, that's been a huge swell going on. Well, Jesus sees that heart in our nation. And he sees that heart and he sees and he wants to reach them. No one is too lost, too bad. You know, they, they um, read a lot about revivals. I was reading recently about John Hyde who... Uh, was a guy who just gave himself to prayer. And in fact, there was a big awakening in the States uh, through a man called Charles Finney. But n- not many know that John Hyde was the man who was kind of behind him. And he would go, before Finney ever arrived in a town to tell people about Jesus, John Hyde would go before, sometimes days, sometimes weeks before, to pray. And whenever he'd go, one of his strategies was, tell me the worst person in this town. Tell me the person who's most messed up, who's most addicted to alcohol, who's most violent. Give me their name. And he would pray his heart out for that person. He wanted the worst person. And very often, that was one of the first people who gave their lives to Christ. And the whole town was turned as a result. Because they thought, well, if he can change, then any of us can change. No one is beyond it. Jesus said, go and find He said, you will find people are out there. They are desperate on the inside. And sometimes they don't feel like it or look like it on the outside. But they are there. If you will look, if you will go, you will find. That's what he promises to his people. Don't be afraid. There's a story of the the Apostle Paul, who's one of the great kind of early church leaders. And he was traveling around planting churches. He gets to one uh, city called Corinth. And when he arrives, it's going against him. People are stirring up trouble. They're rejecting his message. And what, what Jesus says to him, actually Jesus appears to him in a vision, and he says to him, don't stop preaching. Don't be afraid. And he says this, and I, I've always loved this line. He says, I have many people in this city. <laughs> so even before they'd come to know Jesus, Jesus said, they're my people. <laughs> they are my people. I, I, they are my people. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> keep going. Paul had just arrived. No one had even heard about Jesus. And yet Jesus says, I know. I know who's mine. I know who is hungry. I know who is open to the message. Why don't you just come and share, Caroline, your story. Here's my lovely wife, Caroline, for those of you who have not met her. Well, um, I wanted to share a story today about a friend of mine um, who I know through um, my youngest son, Ethan, um, and her son and Ethan are friends from school. And um, she's a single mom and has three kids. And um, this happened a couple of years ago, and she was working about like four or five cleaning jobs trying to make ends meet. And um, she needed some help with the school runs in the morning, so I was helping her with that. And um, the thing about her is that she was um, raised in an orphanage in Lithuania with 300, I'm sorry, 3,000 other orphans. And she knew um, really nothing about um, life skills and that sort of thing. And um, she was raised there her whole life. And then her whole childhood when she was 16, they gave them a bed sit and 
they went on their way. Um, but she had never she had never had an experience of um, like a mom or dad figure. She had never even like watched anyone prepare a meal. She didn't have any um, parenting skills. She had nothing, and um, and she was released into this bedsit, and that was all she had. So she's super keen to um, to be learning from us all the time. And um, and one particular day, I was in a season of helping her. She would drop her son at my house in the mornings, and then I would take him into school so she could get to her job. And um, the, first, the first day when, when I took this little boy into school with me, we got to the school gate and I gave Ethan a hug and said, love you, have a great day, and then um, turned to him and just gave him a hug and said, have a great day. And as I gave him a hug, he was like, you know, just stiff as a board. He was like, I had no clue what to do. And, um, and I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't really give him a hug. I don't know him that well, but I can't send a kid into school without a hug from a mom, you know what I mean? He's only little. And um, so every day, I just kept giving him a hug. And after about two weeks, he was like standing there waiting, you know, for his hug. And um, a, few, a few weeks in, um, I was giving his mom a lift to her job. So we did the school run together. And um, she came in, and I hugged Ethan. And then I turned, and this little boy was like still standing there waiting for his hug. And I said, oh, do I get a hug even when your mom's here? Is well and he was like yeah so I gave him a big hug and we walked out of the school gate and um and his mom turned to me and said I noticed that you hug your kids and you say I love you and I said yeah and she was like what's that all about and I was like well <laughs> I don't know I just if I love somebody I like to hug them and let them know and she was like oh okay and the wheels are really turning and we got in the car and drove to her job and as she got out of the car, she went to close the door, and then she opened the door back up again and she said, Caroline, I love you. <laughs> so Jesus says to people, he says, go find them. And, but the question is really, how do, you, how do you identify them? How do you identify them? That story really illustrates it. What Jesus says is, look, go to places, go and find people who welcome you. So he says they'll open your, their home to you. Go find people who will serve you because he said they'll feed you something and eat what they feed you. He says, go find some people who welcome you. Go find people who will serve you. And then he says, whoever listens to you, listen to me. Go find people who will listen to you. And actually, people of peace, that's how Jesus identifies them. If you're not a believer here this morning, if you haven't yet followed Christ, if you haven't yet followed him, Jesus calls you a person of peace. The very fact that you are here means that you are a person of peace. If you're a person of peace then typically the message of Jesus, even when before you've even heard it or identified it or even really believed it, you'll welcome, you'll serve, and you'll listen. And so as, as believers, as we're looking for people of peace, it, we're looking for those types of people. We're looking for people where there's a connection. Now, sometimes we have to be those people of peace. We're also called to welcome, to serve, and to listen. But also, we're looking for that reciprocate. We're looking for the two-way. We're looking for relationship, for connection, for life to form. As we see welcome, service, and listening, that that's the people that God's calling us to. Some of you already, as I'm talking about this, you already know the people of peace that are around you. Sometimes they're not people that we, we want to be people of peace. Uh, I remember uh, Paul, my friend, was telling me his story as they began to learn this as a community. And uh, as they were, he was, his wife was just natural, and he was like, oh, this is so difficult for me. God, you've got to give me a person of peace. You know, you've got to find a person of peace. And he's praying about that. And then into his mind comes this guy, family that he knew, and they were really kind of dysfunctional, massive issues with, uh, with uh, alcohol and drugs in the family, really kind of broken socially, and it was just difficult. So this man comes into his mind. He's like, yeah, 
not him. <laughs> but this guy had been one who had kind of welcomed him, and they, they kind of welcomed him into the community. So he's like, yeah, not, no, not him. So he carries on praying, God, you've got to send me someone. Get a, I want to find my person of peace, my people of peace. Help me. And as he's praying, literally on his knees crying out, there's a knock on the door. So he goes to open the door, he answers the door, he opens the door, and this guy is standing there at the door with a T-shirt on by the brand Disciple on his T-shirt. So he has, it's like, okay, Lord, I might be stupid, but I'm not that stupid, all right. But that's the reality. We go to where God knows the heart, not us necessarily. It might look on the surface to be one thing, but God is the person who knows the heart. He knows who really is open to the message. So we go and we find, and thirdly, actually before we do thirdly, why don't you just turn to the person next to you, because I think some of you already know. Turn to the person next to you and say, this is who I think that my person of peace is, or say, I don't know, I'm not sure, maybe I know, maybe I'm not, or say, no, I really don't know. So yes, no, or maybe, about people of peace. Do you know already who God has taken you to and shown you? you're on your own, you can find someone near you or turn around. Don't feel lonely. Okay, you can finish that conversation later. It's a good one to finish. Who, who is like, honestly, no, I really don't know. I don't know. You're a complete no. That's fine. No, no, that's it. Some of you, no, that's fine. Who's a maybe? I think I might know. I'm not sure. Okay, there's some. Who's a yes? Do you want us? I know already. Just hold your hand up high so I can see you. Yeah, I mean, just look at the number. God has already, we've already gone, and he's already helped us to find people. What's interesting, I think, and I was talking on this at another church last week, What's interesting, I think, is that a lady came up to me at the end and she said, you know what, as you were talking, God reminded me that I already know the people of peace that are around me. I already know two ladies. She said, but to be honest, I just haven't prioritized time with them at all. Other things, busyness, other things has come in. And this message actually for me is not about finding the people of peace. I already know who they are. I just have given them no priority in my life whatsoever. Well, to be honest, guys, I think that would be true for many of us. Certainly it would be true for me. The reality is we are called to do this. This is what Jesus told us to do. This is our number one priority. We are called to go and make disciples. And so if we know them, our priority, our homework, if you like, off of this is to go and actually spend some time with those that are people of peace around us. The third thing is, so go, find, third thing is, disciple. 
So what Jesus tells his followers to do, if they want to multiply, he says, it's simple, guys. What you've got to do is go find the people and then tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, believe the gospel. So what I want you guys to do tomorrow, at work, in your school, workplace, wherever, I want you to get there, stand on a chair or something, just make yourself profile, and I want you to shout out as loud as you can, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can wear a white suit if you want. Believe the gospel you people of peace. And I want you to... Any, do I have any volunteers for this? I have one. I have one. Thank you. There are a few extreme extroverts who actually would like to do this. And you just needed the permission to do it until now. Let's face it. It's probably not going to work if you do that. It might actually put your people of peace off. They might become people of unpeace, <laughs> hostility, thank you Ben, if you do this. The reality is, is, is so are Jesus' words relevant today? I really think they are, because Jesus told his disciples to do what was culturally relevant in their day. They had an understanding of the kingdom of God. For them, they just wanted to know where is the kingdom of God. They knew what he was, they were talking about. For us, people have no concept of the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean to say these words are irrelevant. What, what's the point? The point is this. We can model the ways of the kingdom of God. The fact that it's joy, forgiveness, life, peace. We can model and live out of God's kingdom. Because very often, people need to see God's kingdom lived out before they'll ever understand that they're attracted to it. Live out those things. I remember a friend of mine many years ago who's not a believer, and we spent a lot of time together. And he said, after six months, he said, Simon, I just don't know what box to put you in. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well... He said, all the Christians that I've ever met are dour, they're uptight, they're religious, they're just annoying. And I actually quite like you. <laughs> and you make jokes, and you make jokes about me, and I make jokes about you, and we laugh together, and we have a good time, and I just, you just don't fit in, into any Christian box. I tell you what, he didn't come through to faith in Christ, but his box got blown up. <laughs> if that's all you do in someone's life, that's a massive deal right there. Just have some fun. A friend of, uh, of mine was saying, we, every uh, few months we, we gather as group leaders to share stories. And, and one of the ladies was sharing a story from her life as part of her group, uh, which is to reach into the business world. And she was saying, you know, I had a, a, someone I was uh, coaching, and I felt God say to me that they'd lost their joy in their childhood. They'd lost their life of joy. And um, they, uh, as, I, as God spoke, I didn't say that to him. I didn't say, the Lord says to you. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> we don't talk that like, like here anyway, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't say that. I just said to him, why don't you just go and have some fun? Uh, this is your homework in the next month. Have some fun. And she said, the lady came back, I think it was a month later, and had just been to the cinema. She said, I've laughed like I've never laughed. I've just enjoyed. What's happening there? It's the kingdom of God. It's modeling something of the life of the kingdom. Sometimes it's the hope of the kingdom, you know. We, we are in a, 48% of our nation right now are feeling pretty hopeless. They're feeling like, what on earth is going to come? We have a message of hope to bring. It is not time now to be spreading hope and dis, dis, un, lack of hope and despair. It's time for us to rally together and say, do you know what? Whatever happens now, God is with us. And we are going to believe for our nation that He will do things amazingly through us and for the rest of Europe. We carry. I, I learned this week or the week before that however messed up a Rubik's Cube is, you can solve it in 20 moves. That was a real shock to me. Ben, that face, that was exactly my face when I learned that. 20 moves, you can solve any Rubik's Cube, no matter how messed up. What's the point? The point is, no matter how messed up somebody's life, somebody's town, somebody's nation, God can fix it. He can fix it. If a Rubik's Cube can be solved in 20 moves, then the God of the universe can fix things. That's what he does.
there is a message of hope. And then we, we model the, the power of the kingdom. We model the power of God's kingdom. You know, one, one of our groups, they were sharing their story. They had met uh, a lady as part of the group. She was, a year ago, she was a drug addict. She was, uh, had hepatitis B. She had asthma. She was in a complete mess. As she's encountered and connected with the group, they set her free. She's, got, uh, she's given her life to follow Jesus. She's been healed of hepatitis B and of asthma. And she's now saying, I'm so glad I met you guys. It's the power of the kingdom. It's the power of the kingdom. So we begin discipling people no matter where they are on the journey. We don't have to wait till they've come through to faith in Christ. Actually, discipleship happens. Jesus, most of the people that Jesus discipled, most of the people that he taught them were not believers in him at all. He just moved them forward a notch. Some of them came right the way through. Some of them didn't. Some of them, we don't know what happened to them. But he just began where they were at. On his journey, he sat with people. You know, the woman at the well, the woman Jesus sat with, he gives her the most breathtaking revelation on worship that we're still feasting on 2,000 years later. It was given to a woman who was not a believer at all. In a chance encounter, sitting by a well over a drink of water. <laughs> and we're still feasting on that revelation on worship 2,000 years later. Discipleship happens every day as we open ourselves to it. And then lastly, persevere. Go, find, disciple, persevere. And Jesus finishes with this. He says, actually, guys, you're not going to have a 100% success rate. Some people will not receive you. And I don't know about you, I like to be received. <laughs> I like people to like me. But the reality is, that wasn't funny. The reality is, we won't always be liked or received or even listened to. But what happens when that happens to us? We often get discouraged. We often get discouraged and we think, you know what, I'm no good at this. I'm going to leave this to the experts like Caroline and others and just, you know, I'll just retreat. Persevere. Thank you. Persevere. Persevere. God has called us, every one of us. You've got something so good inside of you. It has to multiply. Going back to the first point, it has to multiply. But sometimes we need to persevere. We need to persevere through to the other side. We need to say, you know what? No matter what happens on this journey, I'm called to make disciples who make disciples. I'm going to keep going until I do that because that's what I've been born for. Whatever you do for a living, actually, you're called to make disciples in that place in some way, in some shape, in some form, in, ev in whatever way you can. God has made you for that. That's what you were designed to do. That's what I was designed to do. And sometimes people move slowly. A friend of mine was telling the story of he was leading a group of people forward. And as he was leading them forward, it was tough work. And he had this picture of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years. And then they, God delivered them and he set them free. They came out of Egypt. And the picture was this. He said, I saw the picture and the kind of young men and women were running ahead saying, yes, we're free. And he said the kind of the families were coming together a bit slower. And he said then the very old were on their Egyptian version of the Zimmer frame. You know, they were kind of moving forward, but they were slow. And he said then there were some people just sat in the dust. They were just sat in the dust and they weren't moving. And God said to him, if they're moving forward, no matter how slowly, you have a duty to stay with them and lead them. And I just thought that's just really profound, isn't it? If people are moving forward on their journey to follow Jesus, no matter how slowly, we can stay with them. We can walk with them. Part of me wants to cry out, Jesus, I just don't have time for this. 
life is just so busy. I've got so much on. Anyone else want to cry that out right now? I just feel this. I can't fit this in. And I was talking to my friend Paul as he was describing his relationship with discipleship and how he'd given this. And I said, Paul, how do you fit it in? How do you fit it in? He's like, that's the point. I don't fit it in. I said, what do you mean? He said, years ago, my wife and I decided we were born to make disciples. That's what we were made for. So that goes in first, and then everything else fits in around there. If anything, so the question is, how do I fit everything else in? Because this goes in first. I'm not trying to fit it in. And I re- God really spoke to me. This is last week, a real revelation of, I'm just trying to fit this stuff in, was actually, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, and go and make disciples. The great commandment, the great commission, those are the things that go in first. Everything else in our lives has to fit around that. So as a family, that's what we're praying about, as a family together. Who are, who are the, our people of peace? How do we make this central to our family, not just something we fit in, but actually it becomes the foundation of who we are? How do we, how do we live out of what Jesus told us to do? And the summer's a great time, isn't it? I'd urge us all to review this summer. How's the last academic year been? Have you just tried to fit in making disciples, or is it the foundation of what you do? Is it what you're called to? and everything else fits in around it. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for me? This is the, the question I believe God is asking us. I think it's less about changing what we do. I think it's more about changing the way we do things. You know, if you were to say to Jesus, if I was to say to him, Lord, I can't fit this in, he'd say, would you ever eat? Do you ever travel anywhere? Do you ever go to work? Because that's when I did my discipleship. <laughs> If you look at Jesus, how he lived a life, life modeling, raising up the other, he, he, most of it was over food. If it wasn't over food, it was over traveling. He was on the road somewhere. If it wasn't there, it was kind of in the, around the workplace of other people. Uh, Paul, one of Jesus' early followers, he raised up Priscilla and Aquila. He discipled them. How did he meet them? They were making tents together. <laughs> they were making tents together, and as they did that, they turned into one of the key couples who helped him and served him. I don't think this is about changing what we do. I think it's changing the way we do it. It's changing our focus. It's saying, you know what? We are called to do this. God, how do you, you know, if you were, Jesus, if you were me, what would you do? (laughs) And he will help you. And he will help me as we live this stuff out. God has made us to multiply. This is not just an optional extra. You were born for this. You're too good to stay alone. Do you believe me now? Say say yes, otherwise I'll just keep talking and you'll miss your lunch. Thank you, thank you.